Welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life, and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase, it's always an audition, meaning you may not be an actor or a media personality going out to auditions, but you are always auditioning, whether you realize it or not. A job interview is an audition. Pitching an investor for money is an audition. Even networking and getting introduced to someone who might help you in your career is its own kind of audition. This is also a special episode and part two of my conversation with Aliza Licht, celebrating the release of her new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, and is a resharing, re-airing of my interview on Aliza's podcast, Leave Your Mark, where I dropped the nugget that it's always an audition and Aliza loved it so much that she included it in the book on brand, chapter seven, to be precise, entitled, Become a Captivating Speaker and Own the Room. And if you really want to check it out, it's pages 120 to 122. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I am so excited to talk to you because you have such a historical perspective on this business. But yet you're also living through all of the changes that are happening in the world today in this industry. But I always sort of start off because I want people to understand sort of your roots and how you got to where you are. So give us a little background where you're from and how you thought your life was going to be and how it actually ended up in this field. Gosh, it's so long ago. I can't even remember what I thought it was going to be. Do you know what I mean? It's like, huh. But um, I'm just a nice girl from the suburbs of Southern California, just outside of Los Angeles, the Pasadena area. And like so many people who work in this industry, I was a little girl with big dreams. I loved TV, movies, music. I started my career in the music business, but I was attracted to, you know, glamour and excitement. And it took me a long time to figure out the music business. I actually had no business there. I literally have no relevant skills besides hyper enthusiasm. Uh, and so it's where TV and storytelling made sense for me. I, my degree from college is actually in film studies and um, history. So all my talents actually coalesced when I landed at VH1, which was the intersection of music and television in 1990, which was an extraordinary time to be there in the heyday of MTV Networks. And the world was wide open. It was the original startup before we use that term. So if you had an idea and could figure out a way to do it cheaply, you could do it. And I had the opportunity to create my job that didn't exist before, which was inventing the talent development department. Wait, I'm sorry. I have to stop you for a second. I need to fill in the blanks just a little because you did... In college, intern at Virgin Records. Oh my God, that was so great. I was their first college intern. So that was your first entree into music, right? Yeah, no, well, actually, before that, friends and I had started a fanzine chronicling the LA music industry or that, whatever, the scene. And I worked at my college radio station and I was music director of my college radio station. So that's how I first started making industry connections and interviewing artists, meeting label people, PR people. And it's actually the college rep at AM Records who I became friendly with. And then she introduced me, I guess, to her boss. And that was after I'd worked at Virgin. And so then I got an internship at AM Records. And after I worked at AM Records and stayed in touch with my boss, that led to me getting my first job in the music business, working in a music management firm. 
So you just said a really key thing, staying in touch with your boss. Correct. That is something that I think needs to be taught to people. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm done with this job now. I've moved on. I got a promotion or I'm going somewhere else. And you kind of like close the door or some people do, but that helps you get that next role. Absolutely. How did you end up sort of gravitating toward talent and casting? I really fell into it, but it played to my strengths because I'm hyper curious. I have broad interests. And really to back up, I would say I I was sitting on a panel once at my college years ago, right around this time, and it hit me, you know, when I was unemployed or, you know, between jobs, this is what I did back in the day. It's pre-technology. I watched TV. I read magazines. And I talked on the phone. (laughs) Same. (laughs) I found a job at VH1 where they paid me money to watch a ton of television, which I loved everything, right? I'm like really curious. I have very broad interests. I read magazines. And because of the talent side, that included reading things like Hello, you know, and HG. And I had to read Vogue. And I just had to read everything and know what everybody was doing. So I got to read magazines, watch TV, listen to music. Talk on the phone with everyone. And then people ask me for my opinion. Amazing. And so the other real thing, and I think it's relevant to your podcast, is I saw opportunity. Because when I started at VH1, I was really hired to do actually a talent search. And the reason I got it was because I was friends with an executive producer. So that was a connection that brought me in. Two, I had talent industry experience because I had worked for a few years at a talent agency in Los Angeles. So I knew how the industry worked in a way that no one knew at VH1 at the time. And I knew the music business. So all those things were working together. And then I actually started producing and I was hired as an associate producer, worked on specials, did all these great things. And I looked around me and everywhere I looked, there was a talented producer tons of them way ahead of me, super talented people who've gone on to make, you know, movies, win awards, And I thought, I don't think I'm that talented at this. (laughs) Wait, can you tell people who have no clue, like, what does a producer actually do? Wow, great question. Well, first of all, it's, it's vision. It's also being able to see story where there isn't a story. Mm, Good, good, good way to describe it. And to bring it together visually. And there are times when I've worked with a great producer who understands the timing and the flow. And that's where I realized I think I'm pretty linear. And I'm like, and for instance, like when I worked on page six TV and I worked on the sales tape, which was important because I helped get the show sold. But then when we got to the next level and we're doing the test run and they brought in really talented people and I saw what they took this nugget of an idea that I had worked on and took it to such a next level that I never would have come up with these ideas and understanding segments and timing and how you tell the story and how to keep people coming back. And, you know, so you learn from that. But one of the things I brought to all these shows and things I worked on at VH1 is I just fell into being the person who found the talent because I could get on the phone and I had connections and I knew how things worked and I could control people into saying yes to do an interview. So I just became that person and that person didn't exist at VH1. So I was like, wait, if everybody's producing and no one's doing that, I should go do that. And I didn't understand that as a strategy at the time. Now I can tell people, go create opportunities. See where there's an opening, go there. How could they not have a talent person at VH1? They had a music department and it was all around music talent. But again, it was growing. You know, it was a new network. This was new to be moving into these different areas. That's one thing you have to think about. It was a startup. You were the first person to spot RuPaul and identify RuPaul as talent. 
I wish I could really take that credit. That's very kind of you because RuPaul had had, you know, a hit music video, but we were doing the first VH1 Fashion Awards, which again was seminal experience. Um, and I booked Ru on the award show. So Ru comes in, and I don't know if anyone saw it or has the visuals, but it's worth Googling because Rue made the greatest entrance of all time on television, came out with these wings that went out six feet in either direction. Huge. I remember it. I remember it. And so we quickly discovered that the dressing rooms would not accommodate Rue. <laughs> and I think we were one of the armories is where this took place. And my assistant, Sharon, and I at the time scoured the armory, like, you, you know, like so fast. You have to imagine like real time and like Rue and his team are freaking out a little bit. Like, what are we going to do? And we're like... And we look, found the attic and we just took it over and took care of Rue. Rue felt really supported. We developed a you know, positive relationship. Rue made such an amazing impression on that show that then the idea was like, what else can we do? So coming up with the idea of what would the RuPaul show be? What was Rue's dream? And Rue's dream was to host a talk show. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, I get that at VH1, you saw this white space opportunity to sort of take on this talent role, but you have an eye for it and you have an exceptional eye for it. So what are you looking for when you see people for different castings? What makes a good audition and what do people consistently mess up? Oh, I love that question. Okay. So the one thing to do well, regardless, is not to focus on getting the job but to focus on making friends. Come in and focus on that thing you can control, which is be delightful, be present, understand that you're here to make my life easier. And what would make my life easier is you're being fabulous and we can hire you. So that's all about an energetic perception. Leave the room better, more upbeat and wonderful than you found it. I love that. So that's universal because so many things are going on in a job, in an audition, whether you're pitching for money, I coach a ton of people on how to go in for, you know, series A, B, and C. It's the same idea because that too is an audition. So many things are out of your control and you don't know what's going on in the background. Like the decision might've already been made or the show's going to go away. But what happens if you're delightful and wonderful, we're going to remember you. And I might go tell somebody else. Or in the case of many people that I have cast, including Clinton Kelly, where he wasn't right for the first thing. And then when I got the call to do what not to wear, I, you know, reached out to him. I said, hey, I'm doing something I think you'd be great for. And of course, he was like, who are you again? I was like, remember, I met you at that other thing like a year ago. Oh, right. Thank you. Uh, That happens to me all the time. So I was going to say, so that's one of the things, right? Everything we do is a transference of energy. So you're really picking up on that. And how present are you? And it's okay to be nervous. It's a lot of different things, but that you're present and you're open and you're connecting. Right. And so the big no, no, and it goes back to the same idea of like not staying in touch with maintaining relationships is that you come in and think that it only begins when the red light goes on or missing the idea of you're going for a job interview that don't you realize it started the moment you walked in the door and connected if you were doing it in person, you know, with the security guard downstairs, every single person you come in contact with or walk by, that's all part of this process. And by the way, in the casting space, that's not an uncommon thing, old school, to send someone into the ladies room to see how are you behaving when you're not in front of me? Wow, that's so hardcore. I love it. Because you know what we want to know? What will you be like to work with? Not 
how will you do on camera? Because that's obviously super important. But at some point, when you narrow down the choices, anyone we're choosing should be able to do the job. So the deciding factor can often be, do I want to be in a van with you for 13 weeks over bumpy roads in the middle of nowhere, shooting that incredible travel show that everyone wants to do? And if the answer is like, no, I think that they're going to be, you know, pain in the butt and they're not very nice. And I remember seeing how rude they were to the security guard. You're not going to get the job. Wow. That was such an incredible <laughs> lesson. I mean, honestly, for any job interview, period. The bathroom thing, though, that freaks me out. That is really something. Oh, things I've overheard in the stalls? Oh, yes. Oh, give us an example. Oh, yeah. They're just trash talking each other. That's actually an interesting thing to watch because women will be passive aggressive in a different way than guys when they're competing who will try to one up each other. But I've seen people come out of an audition and tell people the opposite of what it is just to throw them off. Oh, you mean like there'll be people in the waiting room? Yes. Go in. Wow. Or you're looking good. Have you lost weight? You know, I think things just to get into someone's head and make them feel insecure, throw them off their game. There are lots of, yep. And we observe them. We're like, well, okay, it was nice seeing you because that wasn't very nice. So we don't want to work with you. Have you ever been in the middle of an audition and like, if the person is really bad, do you let them go through the whole thing or you cut them off and say like, you know, like in the movies, you see them, like they stop them and they kick them out. Like, what do you do if it's like excruciatingly painful and you're like, no, this is not going to work. It is so hard to put yourself out there. Everyone gets to finish. Oh, I love that. I can't speak for what happens in the movies. Well, one, it's drama, but two, that I met in scripted auditions because it, that's a different world. And you also have to think about the numbers and the time because, again, pre-pandemic, you know, if you're doing episodic things shooting in New York and it's like this is like small roles, guest spots, you can get 5,000 submissions for that and you have a few days to work through it. So the numbers and the time crunch are different. But in our space, everyone gets to finish. Very respectful of how hard it is to walk out there and do your thing. So you're exclusively unscripted. Yes, I did a play once. But yes, because again, the same thing in casting is I looked around when I started my business in 2001. I was the only person in New York doing what I was doing. Zero only. It was a great way to start a business. For sure. Tell us about the difference between trying to break into this business in New York versus LA. Mm. Well, I love New York, of course. LA is my home, though, so I have a soft spot for it. But what happens is Los Angeles is a lot more homogenous. There's a ton more opportunity there because the, just there's a greater volume of production. But with that, there's a greater sameness. So there can be a lot of pressure to conform. And a lot of people lose what makes them interesting. So one of the things you want to find that balance of meeting whatever the current standards are. But there's a reason, even on the acting side, how many actors, you know, Matt Damon just said, I can't wait to move back to New York with my family. A lot of people come back because it's just where you find your edge and you're interesting and that thing that stimulates you. Mm -hmm. So breaking in in New York, I mean, I'm going out on a limb here and it's, you know, kind of cliche, but I feel like quirky personalities are more welcome here. Interesting characters more welcome here. And projects I've worked on over the years, especially back in the early days, I would get hired to actually bring a New York flavor. So one of the first things I did when I launched my business was season two of The Amazing Race. And they called me because they wanted New York flavor. New York flavor. I love it. So in your book, How to Get Your Foot in the Door, Television Hosting and Presenting, give me the top 
three lessons that you feel like, like this is the reason to read this book? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, there's a lot out there that talks about technique, which is really important. But the component I bring that I think is a little different in the work that I do is mindset. So my three pillars are mindset, technique, and practice. Because in my experience, many people focus either on the technique and never practice, mm-hmm. or they're practicing all the time, and their heart's in the right place, but they're on a hamster wheel right? And not understanding why they're not getting anywhere. That's because you're just doing the same thing over and over again. So you're missing the idea of mastery about being able to objectively look at what you're doing and understand, you know, if I make some nuanced changes in certain areas, or being able to do a really productive self audit and understand why. So part of it is that is that just understanding the three components, because mindset's really important. It's not only the things we think about in terms of coaching yourself through, but it is understanding that it's energy. It's also understanding that it's not one size fits all. It's a lot of other aspects that I talk about are understanding the industry and that it's not at all like it is on TV. And so I think many people approach all aspects of media with really big misconceived notions. So I'm here to sort of bust some of those myths so that you can actually go in armed with information and be competitive which I think is extraordinarily important. What's an example of a myth that you think is like everyone thinks and it's just not true? Well, I think one thing is people think, you know, they'll watch The Real Housewives and think that the way to get ahead is by being, I don't know, ball busting over the top character. And that's one thing because it can succeed for you as your outward facing character. That doesn't work for you in a meeting. Right. (laughs) Right. And understanding the difference. Right. And so I often talk about Billy Eichner, whom I admire incredibly, and I'm so impressed with his career. You know, and so what he started doing is Billy on the street character a long time ago. And I bring this up, too, because he was so ahead of the curve that he was unhirable. Like nobody knew everybody loved him. Nobody knew what to do with him. And he kept doing it, he kept honing it, he kept building relationships on and on and on and on. Now look at him like he's a massive scripted star and actor. But the reason I bring this up is so the character is hilarious, right? But well, he didn't come into meetings and insult the executives he was meeting with. Sure. Like he was lovely. He was professional. He was on time. He was prepared. He understood how to describe what his character was doing and why it mattered. And But the whole point is he was professional. So that is one misconception. Other things just even into, you know, how to prepare for an audition. First of all, it doesn't start when the camera goes on, I encourage people like do a test run, figure out how long it takes to get there, do the visualization. So like drive, understand where you're going to park if you're in LA or in some other city in New York, ride the subway, understand what the Uber thing. I tell people all the time, you're going into QVC or HSN back in the day again, when it was in person, it's like there are backstage videos available on YouTube. Study everything because your brain doesn't know the difference, right? So you're going to visualize this and you're going to understand when you go in what you're doing, and you're going to spend time in that kind of preparation. The other thing too, is it's not just talking, we're communicating. If everyone could do it, they would. So that's why it does take practice. So there, one after another, people come in with lots of ideas, like I'm better at winging it. No, no one's better at winging it. That's a myth. Wow. Amazing. So what is inspiring you to write this follow-up book? And did you not feel like how I feel, which is, oh my God, it was like giving birth. And how could you possibly want to do it again? You are so spot on about that. Okay. So full disclosure, I had a lot of it written in 2019. Then the pandemic comes and I'm like, oh God, I have zero desire to keep working on this. (laughs) 
<laughs> like none. Like no, you had nothing to do. <laughs> Actually, I wanted being so busy because I have a digital business. Oh yeah, that's true. I was so busy during the pandemic, which I'm really grateful for. It's like my coaching business exploded. And continue because I have a number of corporate clients. I do corporate workshops. I have network clients that I, you know, I'm on retainer with. So yeah, I was really busy in a good way. And on top of it, then like anybody, I pivoted and I started all my in-person classes became online digital classes, et cetera, et cetera. But so your point, but the writing part that was just the, the heavy labor of that. It's like my mind was mushy. All I could do was watch Cuomo's daily updates for a long time. I was like, I can't write this. So and then had the idea to do the podcast. And then that started to make sense to me too, no matter what, because now I have a platform and it makes sense. And I thought, well, you know what? This is actually a blessing because the book will make more sense as a companion to the podcast. And also timing wise, now everybody knows everyone has to be camera ready. I've been saying this since 2009, 2010. I give the example all the time. I did my first Skype audition probably in 2010. I've had a professional Zoom account since 2016. This isn't new, but it's new for more people. Because even before this, you were on camera when you were, you know, streaming town hall meetings to satellite offices. Prior to the pandemic, over 90% of job interviews already had a video component. You might have been uploading because they're global staffing platforms, but also when in doubt, because I've coached so many clients through this, there's always a CEO traveling, often in Singapore, who needs to interview you right now, right? And it was like, how do I do this? And yeah, so it's always been there and now it's here to stay. It's so funny. I years ago interviewed for Louis Vuitton and it was literally, I got a phone call on like a Monday and they were like, can you come to Paris tomorrow? And I was like, okay. But nobody thought about video. I mean, there was no like, let's hop on a Zoom. And of course, you know, you go, obviously. But it's amazing. I feel like that's the one good thing that came out of the pandemic that people realize like, there's actually a lot that can be accomplished digitally. We don't have to like get up every five seconds and go running to every single meeting in person. Oh, absolutely. But I want to go back to what you just said, which was I said yes, and I got on the plane. Yeah, I got on the line. Because that's another example of something one can do that people don't always think about. So a big thing I encourage, especially young people, but anyone is to have a savings account for your career, whatever that is, whether you want to be a television host, but also if you want to use media to advance your career in any way, because obviously everyone needs to. So you want to be able to afford to take advantage of opportunities when they come up, Right. Because often people say, no, I can't because I can't afford that plane ticket or I can't do whatever. So if you've saved money, yes, you can. And another example is too, sometimes it's to buy an expensive ticket to go attend something, Mm -hmm. to get in front of people. And Mm -hmm. I've seen that work where I've I've actually gone with a client, spent $250 for, you know, really bad coffee and a stale croissant at the core club, but to get in front of a CEO and you're one of a handful. Smart. Now you're the front of the line. And so you said yes, because a lot of people say no. And also sometimes it's fear-based, but I got to tell you, Ted Allen, who's still on TV after all these years and has tons of books and TV series and et cetera, since the original Queer Eye, he got himself on a plane multiple times to come in from Chicago and once even came in from vacation in Maine to go through the endless Queer Eye audition process. And the rest is history. He kept saying yes. That's amazing. I mean, I don't think I deserve any credit in this scenario because they paid for my ticket, but... For everyone else listening, yes, definitely. Yeah, but you're a busy mom. You've got things going on. I, of course, of course. But yeah, 
No, your point's taken, but you can imagine it's like, well, Louis, I don't know. Tomorrow's not a really good day for me. <laughs> What's next week like? <laughs> totally. I mean, you do have to make it easy for them, regardless, right? Absolutely. You need to move mountains. And I think that is a really good point. Tell us why you believe in why fit in when you can stand out. Because you have to stand out. But like, you know, maybe this is a misconception, but I feel like people always assume they're looking for a type, right? They're looking for a certain type. They have ideas, like a brand filter for whatever this role is. So if you are outside of those parameters, do you not want to shape yourself to fit within what you think they're looking for? Or should you just be yourself no matter what? Okay, fantastic question. There's so much in there. So one is you can't appeal to everyone. If you're going to sit in the middle of the road, you're just going to get run over. So part of it in our hyper niche world is embracing the more you embrace your niche, the more opportunity you create, play to your strengths and be the most awesome version of you possible. By the way, I'm a huge fan of Sally Hogshead's How to Fascinate Assessment. It's my favorite assessment of all time, which is all about identifying how you show up and how to play to your strengths. So if anyone's curious about it, they can email me because I love to administer this assessment. So that's one thing. It's just like, you know, be awesome in your lane. You actually asked a great question. So one, it's understanding what are they looking for, right? And really what the needs are, because sometimes the brief is what it is. And sometimes you have to accept it's not me. Mm -hmm. That's all right. But other times there's criteria, like here's the skills or this is what you need to do or be. And you'd be like, check, 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 check. So that's great because those are, I often say the hard skills get you in the door. Soft skills are what get you the job. So that would be an example of it's like you fit the criteria. And then other times to your point, you're like, well, I kind of do, but I need to adapt or highlight aspects. And so that's a valid point. I think it's always going to be case by case. But once you're in the door and it's everyone's we're looking for fits in, everybody meets the criteria. Now it's about how do you stand out because it's all the ways that you stand out and provide value that give you a competitive edge and give you a chance to be hired for whatever that is, whether you want to work with a brand or it's a TV show, or you want to get you and your brand on, I don't know, QVC to have, you know, giant sales through the roof. So that's what I mean. It's like understanding why fit in because fitting in also is the false sense of security because it feels comfy. It feels comfy. Like I'm in my comfort zone, but that's actually an unsafe place to be because you're not going to get anywhere. Such great advice. And then I, just to add to that, I want to make sure too, because I suffer from this as well, is when you hear stand out, you have the sense that you've got to be a singular sensation. You've got to be the world's only something and like so far out there. And that's not true. You just have to be a little bit different. You just have to find out what's the recipe of you. I love food metaphors. So if, if this was some kind of food contest and everybody's making a hamburger, it doesn't mean you've got to go make some wild thing. It's just your seasonings might be a little different and that's it. Great analogy. Let's talk about your media coaching business, which is not only for celebrities. And I know we know this because we do this, but the types of people who can benefit from what you do, it's pretty endless. But I think mm -hmm. when you see someone who's super uncomfortable to present in a meeting on camera or in real life, it's really hard to watch. And your mm -hmm. heart goes out to them because so many people have like serious fears of speaking publicly amongst a group. So tell us a little bit about how you help people in that realm. 
Well, I started because I had those fears. Really? Yes. I know people are often shocked by that, but I love the one-on-one and I'm comfortable in places I'm comfortable. But when I'm out of my comfort zone, I'm actually quite shy. That's why I love my sister, Brene Brown, because she talks about that too. It's like, you know, she's out there all the time, but she's actually an introvert who's quite shy. And the idea of being brave and scared at the same time. So I had to overcome this myself. So when I'm feeling comfortable, great. But if I'm in an uncomfortable situation, lip quiver, voice goes up an octave, can crack, had all of that. So I started to understand what worked for me. And those are the techniques I employ. I have to tell you, telling people to imagine the audience naked used to cause me tremendous amount of anxiety. Like I was like, that does not put me at ease (laughs) at all. It's really kind of the dumbest thing ever. The dumbest. And I'm always going to assume it's like, what man came up with that? (laughs) Totally. I think that is totally accurate. So... I think the other thing is understanding that working with a media coach can also be affordable. Like I think people think, oh, it's a celebrity. You have to be a celebrity to do this. And you can do this once, you can do this twice, you can do this if you have a big presentation and you want to just like practice. I mean, you and I have worked together a bunch of times. So I just want to say that because it's a really great hack to make you feel comfortable when you kind of have that big moment that you need to like really nail. I think it's one of the nicest gifts to give recent graduates. Oh, that's such a good call. Whether it's me or someone else, but just the idea that's just to understand it's so important and to be supportive. And so then going back to the idea, it is so in my core that everyone can thrive in a presentation and on camera. So that's why it's really important that we start with the mindset component. And it goes deep. And that's one of the reasons I went and got certified as a professional coach, because I employ those modalities to go in there and understand it when the fears are really, really deep. And it's really helpful to know that almost all of us have them. And just the difference is how people work through them. It's such a slim margin of the population who are so naturally at ease with all of this. Even people who make it look easy have worked hard to make it look easy. Yeah, I think that's valid. By the way, we should totally partner up. We could do a graduation, leave your mark book and (gasps) coaching thing. Yes. Right? Okay. Absolutely. We're going to talk about that. Because I'm really interested too in communication for women and the double standards we encounter as women would get judged differently. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that's very widely known. There's double standards everywhere you look. What's the number one thing someone can do to like capture the audience's attention from the minute they start speaking. Breathe, which sounds crazy. But the first thing to do is pause and breathe and just be centered and where you are and take it all in and make that connection because everything you're doing is outward facing. So it actually starts before you get on the stage and you understand that you're there, you speak to serve. And so it's what's the impact I'm going to make today. And that's where your focus should be. You're not thinking like, let me go do a good job. It's like, let me go change a life. Let me go make someone's day, however you think about that. So that begins just with your attitude, your body language, how you are in your body when you walk out to that presentation. So take a beat and make contact. Great advice. Is there anything that people should be doing at home to prepare for a big presentation? Lots of things. One, visualize. Two, study your face in the mirror. I'm a big one for integrating exercises into your daily life. So when you're brushing your teeth, putting on your makeup, study your face, see what your face does. Spend five minutes a day, maybe reading out loud and recording yourself. 
be playful. You know, so your skills are elastic. So don't do the same thing over and over again. Try different things. Again, sports analogy, regardless of the sport, everybody integrates different things. You know, golfers lift weights. So don't just keep doing that same thing over and over again. And by the way, vocal warmups and all sorts of fun exercises and breathing and meditation and mindfulness are such an important component into communicating. Where again, people who are new to this don't realize how public speakers warm up, singers warm up. One of my favorite things is the beginning of Bohemian Rhapsody, where Rami Malik as Freddie Mercury, you know, he's jumping up and down. He's getting ready before he goes out there. He doesn't warm up on stage. He's warming up backstage. That's really so true. And I think people have the misconception if they know the material or they understand the material, that's enough. But reading something and saying something are two totally different things. Oh, so true. And also you have to think about, but what's my intention? What's the takeaway? How do I want people to feel and think from what I've just said? So if it's only about the material, which is important, the messaging is important, what you say is important, how you deliver is all important, but it misses the mark if we get focused on that kind of perfection. Because if you get all the words right, but it's flat or boring and you're not connected, then what was the point? And again, going back to anyone who's nervous, we're so there with you and we care more about, well, first of all, the value that you bring to us. Two, it's about the recovery, not the mistake. Oh, that's a good one. Right? Laugh and move on. We all make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. That is gold, Barbara. All right. Let's talk about how these roles have changed over the years. Before we started recording this podcast, I asked Barbara what she's working on now, and she's working on a casting. And in my mind, or historically, you think there's a talent role, there's a producer. These are all separate entities, right? There's a team, there's a you know, the public facing person, the behind the scenes person. So take us through now when you're casting for something, how these things have sort of gelled together into like one person. Well, that one person in many places is referred to as an MMJ, which is a multimedia journalist. It's always going to be case by case because there's some people, obviously, who depending on the role or what it is in, you know, voiceovers, commercial acting, any kind of hosting where it's like you come in and that's the job that you do. But it's a very collaborative business. So even back in the day, if you could write, that's really great. Like that's added value. And maybe now you're doing the job of two people for less than what it would cost to have two people. By the way, we all have to be marketers. I mean, oh, shoot, I can't believe I'm blanking. But Olivia Pope, what was that show we love? Scandal. Hello. God, I mean, I just lived for that, right? So my point is that cast proved that every actor has to be a marketer now. That show lived and breathed and survived because they had the most amazing live tweeting community on Thursday nights, right? And so there's an example where everybody had to develop this new skill to be like, oh, I'm a social media marketer. And I don't know how to tell my story. But a big part of it, and I tell people who are coming out of college, I wonder if you agree with this. It's like, regardless of the industry you're going into, know how to edit video because chances are your boss doesn't know how to edit video. And now you are so valuable, right? To all those different, because you're the digitally native one who can either make the awesome family Christmas card, but also can handle all this stuff. And our team makes videos and we communicate with other people and what have you. So that's where it comes. It's just the idea that digital is not the future. It's the now. And it's what drives so much so that there is an expectation that talent can do most of it. Also behind the scenes, so much 
of the audition space, getting any kind of job is created through what's called self-taping. So your chances of getting hired escalate because you have a good camera, you understand lighting, you understand audio, and you can edit this very simple video. It makes all the difference. So it's an expectation that you do have these skills. And so something I'm working on right now that you were curious about, because it was an anchor, it's an on camera position, but it's also producer, producer, writer, someone who understands digital, but also can create stories, you know, come up with ideas, understand where the stories are, and all the skills that we expect be able to deliver information to camera to be able to conduct an interview, be able to do analysis, and be fun and colorful doing it. Let's talk about unscripted television. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that people don't really understand. Like I have friends, all friends who maybe have big social media followings who think, you know, they're going to go on a reality TV show. And everyone always, for some reason, I'm the person people ask about this, even though I've never done reality television. And they always say, well, I know that I can control my own image. Like I know that I can control what I say. And then I always say like, but they can edit however they want. And at the end of the day, they're in control of whatever reputation comes out of that show. True? 100%. 100%. So the talent does not have control over the outcome or like you could chop sentences together and sort of create whatever narrative they want to. That's referred to as a Frankenbite. I love that there's a name, a Frankenbite. That's also a big part of the casting process because we want to, you know, move people forward. So you want to take the best of. So it's the idea that you Frankenbite the audition process, which is usually done via Skype. But first of all, it is case by case. So depending on the show, some shows will be pretty truthful. But then there are others where it is totally based on creating a narrative and creating archetypes. And we quickly figure out what's your archetype and who you are. And yes, at least the only person who has a say is the person who's paying for it. So if you're financing it, good for you, because then you can control your image and everything that happens. But until then, this is a collaboration and you've signed a lot. And the reason in my mind that you should be doing this is because you are promoting your business, whatever that business is. It's about brand building and putting yourself out there. So all press is good press? Not necessarily. It depends on who you are and your character. So it's a really challenging thing. If your identity is really built on being a nice person, you probably are a nice person. And then you couldn't control that. But for like the people we've seen succeed, and this really does come out a lot out of like, you know, the housewife scenario and bachelors and bachelorettes and et cetera, and dating shows, you know, it's big characters whose character is really built on not caring what people think. Right. That's a good point. Those are the people who succeed a really good point. What is something that's exciting you right this minute? Oh my gosh. You know, what's always exciting me is that there are always people making stuff. There's always someone somewhere. And I stumble on something like that's interesting. I'm gonna have to tell you, it's like so random, but I just bought one of those Himalayan salt orbs. Yeah. Do you know what those are? Yeah. Okay. Can I tell you how like much I love it now to have like this pulsating light of creativity in my office? So that's exciting me. Interesting books are exciting me. You know, I need more good Netflix because I feel like there are no TV shows left for me to watch, which sounds ridiculous. I have recommendations. But do you ever get to that where it's like, oh, I've watched too much. But now the other thing that's really exciting me is seeing people again. 
Yeah. And I've had friends come into town and I've traveled. So, you know, that is really what gets me wow. And then I'm also really excited because I've shifted a bit in my career and I'm developing projects that I have an equity stake in. And that really excites me creatively. So I feel so lucky every day. I mean, I love what I do. That's amazing. And how much of your sort of discovery in your casting side of things is done natively by you just like seeking out and searching people through Instagram or TikTok versus like a call to action for submissions or both? Oh, you know what? That's actually a great point. It's all of it, right? And that's one of the things that is a little bit unique in my space and those of us who do this, which there are a handful of us, because we find people all over the place. So I've worked on projects where everyone who we chose at the end of the day came from some different pipeline. And it was a really fabulous branded campaign for a bank that I love doing. One person came through a contact. He's like a personal contact. Like I just sent out an email to everyone I knew, like anyone recommend. Another person found online. I mean, the same idea is like did a search like, well, that's interesting. We just look for keywords like you're cool. And then, you know, did the old, hi, you don't know me. I've cast things off of LinkedIn. Wow. Just searching for people with serious expertise. So I, it's always one of my things like never underestimate the value of being on LinkedIn. Oh, and I've also cast people that I had on file. I've cast people that I met on social media that have just stayed in touch who are just active. Do you know what I mean? Who like participate yeah. in the conversation. So all of that. And I feel like a total dork that the other thing that's super exciting me is my podcast and not only for the shameless plug, but because I get to talk to the most interesting and amazing people. And it's a truism in coaching that you speak to someone every day who tells you something that you needed to hear. And I feel that way about the podcast. It's just serving me. Oh, I so relate to that. I so relate to that. Well, first of all, it's funny because for my podcast, I only invite people I know and like on it. So for me, it's like a catch up. And I'm like, I get to hang out with you for an hour, tell your story. And then you walk away and you've learned something new every single time, if not multiple things. So completely relate to that. How do you want to leave your mark? Mm, you know, I think about this all the time. My mark, I think is a little bit subtle, but it's how I feel is when I do what I do well, the people I work with go out and do what they do better and they go out and change the world. And some of my clients do that in big global ways that make a massive difference. And others just simply by being a teacher, a better parent, a better friend, raising money. I mean, you know, people impact the world every day in big and small ways, but I understand that that's what I'm meant to do. That's an amazing answer. Barbara, this was awesome. As I knew it would be, you were chock full of amazing insider advice. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Camera Ready and Able. On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception is available everywhere books are sold. And you can follow Aliza on all the platforms at Aliza Licht and at Leave Your Mark XO. If you're looking to grow more confident on camera, please shoot me a note via my website, ableintermedia.com. And be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Thank you.